Let's go! The 4 o'clock football frenzy on Cofield and Company. Company. Four o'clock hours here. Football frenzy is coming up in just a couple of seconds. Uh, just to follow up on the Eagles having those two picks. One, why do you think they got rid of one of the the third first round pick? Is it what Rhea said that they're they're hedging their bet? They want to have ammunition for next year. So if they need to make a big trade for a quarterback, yeah, I mean I think so. I think an established quarterback to have that kind of uh, a control over two years of draft, where you can either move up, move down, you have ammunition, do whatever you want to do. And obviously the the talk for next year is, you know, there's two guys at the top of the draft who are absolutely unbelievable. Do you favor the top of the draft next year or what was out there this year? Like, should they have been in on Russell Wilson? I know, I, I, I know supposedly on his list, he had no Philly. Yeah. I mean, what, what would be the point? Like if you, if you're, he's not going to go there, you're going to try to go through this battle of trying to get him there and convince him to maybe come. Like, I, I don't think he would. Uh, so maybe not. I mean, Deshaun Watson potentially, but you know how, who knows how the fan base will react with that. And that is, there is risk there. And we know that he wanted a guaranteed contract. Um, they also think, you know, there's a possibility. And I think all teams in the NFC are this where it's winnable. Like for the AFC, it's really not right now. Like it's really tough to try to make a move in the AFC and the NFC. You, you can win. And so if you do take that chance of going after a Deshaun Watson who might miss half the year, you're kind of putting yourself behind the eight ball a little bit if you're trying to win now. He'd go wide receiver cornerback. Like Rhea's, her logic on, well, they haven't gotten the job done with receivers and this will be the third year in a row. Well, you got to keep going back to the well. Get well, it right. And they, and they did last year. Get it right. They, they, Devontae Smith looks like he's going to be a good player. Yeah. Well, didn't, didn't work out the, the year before. The, the Raiders blew it too. Raiders had the 12th pick. They blew it and didn't take Jefferson and yeah. didn't take CeeDee Lamb. Yeah. Uh, although it's just, and, man, and I know you like Judy. I, I mean, still. So, many, so many things just kind of come out and like the, the way that they're dropped out. But I, I think it was Peter King the other day who was telling the story of, and it had nothing to do with the Raider. It was, it was a story about like positioning herself in the draft. That's all. That's all he was telling the story for. And he said his belief a couple of years ago was that there was a, a couple of teams at the end of the first round that were trying to position themselves like around 18 or 19 in the first round because they really, really liked Henry Ruggs. And, you know, then he came off the board. And it, it wasn't about... <laughs> damn, damn, yeah. damn, as Florida Evans would say he about said, the draft. He said the Patriots were very much in and wanted him. Oh. Um, and, and And by the way, like... That means all of history has changed, and you know, what happened almost certainly never happens. And um, probably Henry Ruggs goes on to a very productive career. Not that it's Vegas's fault, but if you change one thing in your life, like the rest of your life has changed, right? So um, th- those those things are crazy to think about. But he was just telling a story about how like the draft is so unpredictable that even you know people say, "Oh, mock drafters don't know what they're talking about." Teams don't know. Teams don't know what other teams are going to do. And so you could say, well, I don't think anybody's going to take this guy, so I'm going to get, I'm going to get up to 18, so I can get this guy, and then he goes 12, and you're like, well, we just made all these moves to a point where the guy that we wanted isn't even there. So there's just so many unpredictable things going into the draft, where even draft night, you, you don't know. Yeah. Well, what wasn't that the whole thing with uh, 
with Gettleman and the Giants with Kadarius Tony. Like they had the expectation they were shooting for someone else, and then the player's gone, and all of a sudden they're like, uh, Kadarius Tony. <laughs> Who we don't know if he's going to work out or not. <laughs> Wait, Arizona State is in a really interesting situation with both hoops and football. I feel like Hurley's got to win pretty big this year and make the tournament. But he's, in a way, fortunate to be at Arizona State when the football and all the stuff around football is a freaking disaster. Yeah. So it's almost like he's getting he, – he got an – and plus, they I don't think they want to – you know, they may have to blow out Herm. So you're talking about a lot of money coming up. But anyway, just I, – I thought it was interesting that uh, – Former Florida quarterback Emory Jones is going to take a visit to Tempe this weekend. If you go to Tempe, you're probably committing there because it is, it is <laughs> yeah. the ultimate party school. It's awesome. Your head's going to be on a swivel looking around. You know if you you know if you're into that kind of thing. You're also um, going in spring, by the way, when yeah, it's, it's unbelievable. Um, and Hurley just got the Cambridge brothers. One Desmond from Reno, and he also just got Warren Washington. And I, I don't know if you were on when I mentioned this the other day. It's like I guess I guess in the case of the Reno guys, they're already conditioned to Alford. Kind of being an overbearing, yelling jackass. So they're like, hey, you know, Hurley's the same thing. So that's what I, I'm fine with it. But you know, when you know when those guys visit, it's like, holy crap, this place is cool. It is a great school to recruit to, and yeah. the fact that they can't get it straight with football and men's basketball right now is kind of embarrassing. It is. Uh, now they're going to have, I think they're going to have hockey on campus now too. I think, which is pretty crazy the way that that's going to potentially work out. But. um yeah, they should they should be a lot better, but I think there's also like just the things that you said. I think you could go play sports there and be like, I'm just gonna hang out and party on the week. I don't really care about I don't care about my team anymore. I'm in Arizona State. This is awesome. That is something you have to battle. I think being there at such an unbelievable campus. Meanwhile, at Reno, it's been just a freaking disaster. The AD, they're moving on from uh, Doug Newth and. There's a lot of reasons that go into this, I think. Because on the positive side, the muscleman hire for like a dollar a year. I mean, that that was a ridiculous deal. They got him for oh, less yeah. than five hundred thousand dollars at the time. Now you you know you saw what he did. Quick fix, Martin Twins. You know, turn him into like a top fifteen program. Moves on to Arkansas. They're doing a good job. He's doing a good job at Arkansas. But Alford replacement, ten year deal. That's turning into a nightmare. Yeah. The Norvell thing, Jay Norvell stolen by another team in the conference and then get public, you know, really getting publicly embarrassed. Like the facilities just suck. The resources suck. Right. And on top of that, the entire time he was there, there, they were trying to get funding for a football facility. And you saw last year because of the fires in Northern California, they freaking basically got smoked out of Reno and then had to go across to California and go indoor at Stanford to practice. So they've had a real, I think most of it's fundraising. It's, it's handing out a really bad deal that was overly desperate to Alford and then the lack of fundraising and, uh, you know, just reading up a little bit on it. That was supposedly this AD strength when he came from Utah is that he was a good fundraiser. Now maybe there's just no money to be had. I don't believe that's the case, but yeah, now they're without an AD and they're losing out on the governor's cup too. Right. I mean, that's a, well, the, in the Nevada sports net story that I read, um, I know you joke about that, but, you do like to achieve in some sports, and apparently they're they're the female sports there. It's just there's no funding, and they've just been really bad. Yeah, and they're they're a secondary college in a in a in a state uh, with that is dominated by the South, and they can't put up with it because that's all they have. 
the only possible thing they could potentially have over the people in the South is, you know, winning their goofy series against them in all their sports, and they can't do it. As expected, UNLV football was going to be really active in the transfer portal in the spring. Marcus Arreo said back in the fall that there's now three recruiting periods. Right? There used to be just one. You'd have a, a signing day. Uh, then they added the early one, which I thought was actually good for smaller schools. A lot of coaches hate it. So they had they were expecting upwards of uh, the potential of signing like 30 or 32 players. So they came out of the early and the late signing day with 17. And I'm like, and there's a lot of room. And then I've been out at spring practice a lot, and I'm counting the numbers, and I'm like, there's still a lot of room. And now slowly but surely in this spring recruiting period, they're picking people off from all different areas. Some could be starters. Some are program guys, you know, who could be players two and three years from now. They've now gotten commitments from three different defensive backs. So today was a kid from Limestone University. Like they're they're finding guys like CSU Pueblo, Charleston Southern. Uh, we already know they got guys from Florida State and Tennessee and some other power fives. Um, the DB group, they've got to commit from this limestone kid today, a Utah State starter, and then a younger guy who was a three-star who was at Utah. And they may add another defensive back soon. Like I, I think their attitude is like, the Mountain West is nuts throwing the football, and we we did not have enough depth last year at defensive back. So we're gonna we are gonna have so many friggin' bodies to throw at people, and we know we're gonna be playing these you know these multiple defenses, just like you know the the Raiders have talked about. But college football is even crazier. And when you know when guys like Jake Hayner are back in conference, you know other teams are gonna be throwing forty and fifty times. You got you got to have lots of defensive backs, and you know the majority of them can't be five nine. They gotta be five eleven, six foot, and six one. Yeah. So they're just trying. They're just collecting bodies at defensive back. And I think you're collecting bodies just in general too. I mean, I think that's certainly part of it of of just adding depth and adding to the secondary. And guys are going to go down. You're going to have injuries. You're going to have you know people leave. They're going to have all kinds of things happen. So you need to get as many people as you can. But also, like it's just a sign that recruiting doesn't end. Like you you're you're continuing to add bodies in as many places as you can. Guys that you think can contribute, can help, can develop, can help on even scout team. Like, just guys that can help you in different ways to prepare for the year, and that job is never really done in college. Yeah, I still think they could use some more depth at linebacker. I sent you a story the other or yesterday, I don't know if you got to read it, about three weeks ago, about a kid who went into the portal three months ago and was like, hey, this is how you get stuck in the portal. And while we've talked about the portal, you know, the whole Dickie V thing, like, you know, all, all Dickie V is kind of looking at as the top of college basketball, right? Where the most coveted guys, yeah, there's big competition and there may be money going around NIL deals, but there's a lot of kids who go in and are like, hey, I want to play at a different level. I don't like it where I'm at. And then they sometimes they don't get offers. So there was a kid, Chris Mull, who was at UAB, an all-conference player. They, uh, Athletic wrote a story on him, and then all of a sudden he got like five offers right away, and UNLV actually offered him, I think, back at the end of March. So who knows what happens with that one. Um, and I still believe they're going to be hosting some running backs. They're going to try to get some running backs because their their running back room is interesting, but I don't know that they have a standout guy. They're not going to have a Charles Williams, so I would expect UNLV to add a body or two. Could they just put Charles Williams in somebody else's jersey? All right, sneak him in. It's crazy though. Who's this guy? Jimmy Smith. What are you talking about? I mean, both. Think about it. Both men's basketball and the football team 
You just had Bryce Hamilton averaging 23 points a game in conference and Charles Williams setting the all-time school record you know, for rushing. And, I mean, just a the ultimate bell cow. And now for both programs, you got to find a way through numbers to replace those guys. Join the conversation on Twitter at ESPN Las Vegas. The thing that really caught me off guard was how competitive the kids were. Like, they wanted to compete against me. They was trash talking and everything. I said, okay, this is going to be a fun camp. Every time I do it, I get goosebumps, and it, and it gives me chills. And it, it, it puts it all together, you know, and it, it brings me back down to earth and everything. And it just, I sit there and I take it in. Um, so it's, it's definitely been a huge honor and a blessing. Now. Back to Cofield and Company in the Finley Toyota studio. All right, let's talk some Raiders. Josh Jacobs on the way back there. Adam Hill, Steve Cofield, the former Raider, Stanford route. Let's talk some draft as well and some news around the National Football League. Stanford, how you doing? What's going on, fellas? Happy to be back on with you. Happy Friday. (laughs) Yeah, you too, man. Uh, We're getting closer, getting, getting ready for the countdown for the draft. Uh, we're getting into it. We're getting excited. Uh, I, I found something very interesting, uh, what Dave Ziegler said the other day, about how much they have studied the draft for next year already. And I don't think people realize that this is kind of a two-year process, and you can kind of start to look and say, hey, if there's a strong spot at this position next year, maybe we go in a different direction this year. Like, Future players can impact how you kind of look at this draft. Yeah, I believe that uh, future players can impact it. But I think also, I mean, if I'm a current player on this roster right now and I got a GM or a head coach thinking two years down the line, hey, man, I want to have the best possible team that we can have in the 2022 season, not wait till the 2023 year because I may not even be on the roster by that time. So for players, players are thinking now, but obviously with ownership, the GM, head coach, sometimes they're thinking a little bit down the line. So it can get a little bit problematic as far as management to, for, uh, to front office to player dynamic as far as where their desires lie as far as what's most important to them at hand. So if we speak more immediately, Earl Thomas wants back in. And of course. Is, Why is, wouldn't he? Well, this, it's yeah, interesting because yeah. obviously there was some issues at the end with Seattle. He goes to Baltimore, signs the big contract, and then there's a fight with a teammate on the field. There's some frustration boils over, and we haven't seen him in two years. Now he wants back in. Should the Raiders be interested? Uh, I think the Raiders should definitely be interested because am I correct or incorrect when I say this? Guys, the last time Earl Thomas was on a football team during the regular season, was he not a pro bowler? Sure. So that right there kind of pretty much solidifies everything else. And then we go to the the uh, the, the altercation with uh, him and a teammate. And I believe it was Chuck Clark. I believe maybe I'm wrong on no, that. Right. But uh, uh, back in training camp of what, the 2020 season. Uh, I'm sorry. Name a training camp in the <laughs> NFL where there is not a fight between teammates. No, okay, that's true. But that's why I'll follow up and say, don't don't we read into this that it was more than just that? Like, if 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 the response was, all right, he's gone, it, there had to be more, right? Because those things happen all the time. Yes, there maybe there was more. I can tell you from what I extrapolated from just reading everything that I could about that situation. Uh, number one, I think that for Earl Thomas to go to Baltimore, spending all of his all of his years in Seattle, I think that he just simply probably did not fit in as seamlessly as he did in Seattle. But when you're with a team for your for the entirety of your career, and then all of a sudden you go to a new team, it's going to be an adjustment process. But what the hell does it matter? 
<laughs> he was a pro bowler the last time he played a full season for the Baltimore Ravens. So, like, just off of that alone, I'm sorry if, if he's not, you know, the perfect teammate coming, bringing donuts and coffee every morning. I'm sorry. What the hell does that have to do with football? So that's why, to me, I looked at that more as he just simply did not shake the right hands and schmooze the right people within that organization. So when a situation did come up with him and a teammate, then they, they could easily make him the scapegoat. But as far as playability, as far as what he does on the football field, there's no reason why he should have been out the league this long. There's no reason and no doubt in my mind. And I can, I'll go ahead and finish up with this. As far as, you know, okay, well, Stanford, maybe he was getting, he wasn't getting along with teammates. Maybe he was kind of like bad in the locker room. Oh, what? I'm sorry. So every damn player in this NFL is a, in this league is a model citizen. Every damn player in this league is a perfect teammate. Exactly my point. So that's, Hold on, I so feel that's why I say certain guys get bad raps and then other guys get raps where, oh, well, you know, we're just going to go ahead and overlook that part. But other people, you want to go ahead and, you know, harp on it. And I'm not talking about you specifically, but I'm no. just saying just the media and just the way certain people are perceived. Certain, I've played with certain guys. I know of certain guys that they weren't great teammates, but because the overall perception was that they were, Anything that they did, it would be automatically swept under the rug. Or if anybody was to find out about it, like a fan, somebody like that, you're automatically forgiving them because you're being brainwashed. You're being, you're, be, you're, you're being, uh, you're, yeah, you're being basically brainwashed through media, social media, you know, the reporters, all this, any other. You're being led to believe that they're a model citizen when they are human, just like everybody else. But other guys don't get that pass. So all I'm simply saying, as far as Earl Thomas goes. Yes, I think that the Las Vegas Raiders should go ahead and look into that because if we're talking about playability and not who's the perfect model citizen on Sunday morning uh, service, then I think that uh, he definitely could help this team. I feel weird because I'm harping on it, even though I'm I'm an Earl Thomas fan. I actually think they probably should Same go. Same here, I'm but in Texas, man. But didn't Come it also it also ended bad in Seattle? He flipped off Pete Carroll all the way off the field when he got hurt in Seattle. Yes, uh, I'm going to ask both of you guys this: If your boss or your employer is undervaluing you and you know they're undervaluing you valuing you they know they're undervaluing you simply because they want to go younger they want to get a little cheaper and they want the team to be more surrounded i'm sorry more predicated on the voice of a russell wilson and somebody who has gained the stature that he now has due to your play on the defense side of the ball, along with Cam Chancellor, along with a Richard Sherman, along with a Bobby Wagner, along with a Chris Clements, and so many other great players that were on that Legion of Boom from, you know, 2013, like 2017 or 2018 or however long, you know, they had their run. You probably would be a little teed off as well. And let's remember this. Earl Thomas wanted a new contract because he wanted – more guaranteed money he wanted more security because what's the one thing that a lot of players not all what's the one thing most players in the nfl fear injury what'd you just say injury and when earl thomas flipped off the seattle seahawks sideline was he walking off the field no carded he was being carted off right uh, yeah 
because he was injured. <laughs> so yeah. my point that I'm trying to make is all of that is basically, man, he wanted guaranteed money. He wanted some security. Everything I've done for this organization, they just want to let me go ahead and go into my contract year. They want to go ahead and make me a lame duck because I tell you this, they damn sure don't do that for quarterbacks. Quarterbacks go into their contract year. Oh, you best believe they're getting locked up. Look at the uh, Las Vegas Raiders and Derek Carr. So for, for Earl Thomas, it was more of everything coming together, and he knew that Pete Carroll was not exactly singing his praises up top with the GM and everybody in the front office. So that's why that culmination happened, because exactly what he was afraid of is exactly what happened. And now he then had to go into free agency with the uncertainty, still having the injury looming over him. Now, luckily, the Baltimore Ravens were, were willing to go ahead and pay him a good, uh, decent salary and things like that. But that's why. Earl Thomas flipped off that sideline, not just because he's a menace to society or just something like that. That's the voice of Stanford Route, our good friend here on the show, former uh, <laughs> Raider. Uh, the Raiders don't pick until the third round. We know that. Their first and second round pick, if you are sad, if you're a Raiders fan that they're not picking, just watch some Devontae Adams highlights. You'll feel better <laughs> yeah, uh, exactly. during, during the draft. Uh, but when you're picking in the third round, when that's your first pick, does it change the mentality? Or, or is, is, does it change what you're looking for when you're not picking all the way until that third round? Well, obviously, you're not going to be able to find your first-round talent in the third round. Maybe you might get lucky, somebody slipped, somebody you know had a little bit of an injury history, some sort of off-the-field issue that caused them to fall from, let's say, the first round to the second round to the second round to the third round or something like that. So you might be able to luck up. But I think that if you're picking uh, your first pick in the third round, it has to be something that is really going to stick. It has to be something that you are positive in. It can't be, okay, well, we hope this pans out. We hope this works. It has to be somebody that you know I can plug and play this person maybe in on day one maybe halfway through the season but you cannot miss on this third round pick because you don't have a first and a second one to fall back on so this has to be a pick that whoever it is you're drafting for whatever position you have to be certain that i know this is going to bring dividends so where would you kind of assess the needs for this team like last year you went into the draft knowing there's two starting spots that were available that they needed to kind of fill in those first two rounds this year, they've kind of got the starting lineup. Obviously, they need an influx of talent uh, and developmental guys on the offensive line. Uh, I think yes. defensive tackle, you probably still need to go. Uh, and still in the back end. Corner is a, is a need, I think. I think the starters are yep. good, but I think you obviously need to develop more guys uh, at corner. And for me, I would really like to see them take a linebacker that they can develop. And, and I know a couple guys out there. There's a Montana State kid um, that I really love in Troy Anderson, who I think is a, mm -hmm. a you know sky's the limit type player. Um, who switched from quarterback, actually, to linebacker and plays really well. So uh, where do you kind of assess what their needs are? Yeah, I pretty much you hit it right on the head. Uh, obviously, I'm going to go ahead and still address the offensive line. I'm going to address the linebacker position and the cornerback position as well. And I feel that even though you have, obviously, a Chandler Jones and you have a Max Crosby, you still can go ahead and add a little bit more beef, a little bit more run-stopping to that defensive line. So there's still plenty of areas on this team that you can still go ahead and fill some holes. Obviously, you got Derek Carr locked up for a number of years. You got Hunter Renfro. You got your man Devontae Adams. You got uh you got a uh, Waller. You got your boy in the backfield, Jacobs. So you have the pieces, but you were still not out here walking around here with just no holes at all on your team. So there's still plenty of areas that 
this Raiders organization, this front office can still address, even throughout free agency still, even though we're over a month in, but through the draft, there's still many areas that you can go ahead and uh, get better at. Stanford routes with us. Let's close on this one, Adam. I want you to bring up your mm, it's kind of a concern with Derek Carr and who he keeps mentioning as needing <laughs> the money. And if there's something here, explain to Stanford. Well, every time, and obviously we know Hunter Renfro is going to be a guy that gets a lot of money. I know the estimated contract value looks like four years, $17 million. That's what the, the projections are, uh, $17 million per year for Hunter Renfro. But it seems like every time Derek Carr talks about, guy, hey, I took less money to get Hunter Renfro money. And then the other day, he sends out a tweet like, hey, we got to get Hunter Renfro paid. Like, Darren Waller is still on the team, right? He's still underpaid, right? <laughs> like, are we not ever going to mention him? Like, is there something going on here? Or is he just... He's omitting him, and he doesn't even know he's omitting Waller. I think that he's just – I think it's probably more about him trying to get Hunter Renfro paid and less about some sort of a slight to a Darren Waller because Darren Waller has received his free agent, you know, long type of money, not rookie deal type of contract. Now, Darren Waller is still young in this league. He's going to be getting another contract and probably another one after that because not only is he not that old, he is still very, very talented. I'd say top three, top four in the NFL right now at the tight end position. So I think it's a little bit more about let me go and get Hunter Renfro paid that way and then and, and less about me sliding or just simply ignoring Darren Waller because Darren Waller has already been paid. Now Darren Waller needs to get paid again. But yeah. Hunter Renfro has not been paid yet. So I think it's more about him just looking out for his boy. And then also, you know, on a lot of teams, you look at Cooper Cup and Matthew Stafford for the Los Angeles Rams, that slot receiver quarterback type of synergy, that type of connection, that's something that it, it, it's sacred. So for a lot of quarterbacks, their slot receiver, he's their right-hand man because anytime the play breaks down, he's the one I'm looking to first. Obviously, you have teams like the 49ers or the Chiefs where you may see Kelsey or Kittle is kind of like the number one go-to option. But for Derek Carr, with having a Hunter Renfro right there in the mix and running those, uh, I can't even explain the types of routes that Hunter Renfro runs, like with three and four cuts all in one and still being able to be wide, wide open. I think that uh, he's just looking out for his boy, somebody that has helped him over the last couple of years. Quick hit before we get out of here. Did you see uh, Mike Tyson light up some jackass on a plane <laughs> the other day? I, I didn't see it, but I heard right. about it. And based on all the Tyson fights that I watched back in the 90s, I can go ahead and uh, pretty much envision how that happened yes. or what happened. It's, and, and it's tough to get leverage on a plane, though. Like You can't, yes. you can't really line it up. It's tough, man. you got to reach the aisle behind you. He's still got it. I, I mean, agreed, but Mike Tyson's what, 5'9", 5'10", 250? He's like a rocked-up fullback, <laughs> yes. if you want to put yes. it in football terms. So the type of inertia, the type of power that Mike Tyson is able to generate, even if he's off balance, is going to knock out unconscious a normal civilian. Should I say somebody who's not a trained <laughs> lethal weapon as far as your hands are being considered type of boxer. So yes, on a plane, even if with him being off balance, he is still no match for anybody <laughs> on a plane of any sort, even if he's off balance, even if he's even if he's got one hand tied behind his back. Like you, that's definitely a fight you do not want, Mike Tyson. Oh my God! Leave Mike alone. Don't bother exactly. him. He has to do that about every ten years. Don't blank with Mike because he will send the message. Stanford, oh, yes. uh, have a good weekend, man. We appreciate it. Man, you guys be good. I'll talk to you next week. There's Stanford Route, the former Oakland Raider. On the way back, one of our favorite athletes on all of sports is devastating news coming down. Cofield and company will be back in minutes right here on ESPN Las Vegas.
You're listening to Cofield and Company on ESPN Las Vegas. All right, rolling past the halfway point of the show. We're doing our path to the draft. We talked about the Eagles last hour at 18. Division rival Chargers up at 17. So that's coming up in about 10 minutes. We'll find out if uh, the most mocked player to that team is actually going to go to that team. Generally, if someone, like we mentioned yesterday, Kenny Pickett to the Steelers over and over and over and over again, uh, I'll bet they don't take Kenny Pickett. But we'll get to the Chargers player and uh, or the Chargers selection and who that could be. Uh, we mentioned one of my new heroes in sports. The guy was playing junior college baseball in Texas. Got annoyed that someone hit a home run off him. So when the guy was rounding third, he just ran across the diamond, speared him a la Bill Goldberg. Sort of a fight broke out, but you know it wasn't a full-scale Donnybrook, but it's pretty cool. Um, he got he got a four-game suspension, and then what happened? And then the so the, the conference gave him a four-game suspension. The team was like, now nah, he's gone. What? Kicked him off the team. Now, Do you want your pitchers to have fire or not? I also want to know exactly what all happened because the kid that got tackled, he got suspended too hmm. for taunting. I wonder what he was saying. So what was he saying? What was he doing? I would like to know. Adam's always very big on this. He still wants to know what some of the Wisconsin players and the Wisconsin assistant coach said to get slapped silly yeah. by Juwan Howard. Well, you saw They had to do something. Yeah, you saw Well, if you watch the video, you see – Krabenhoff come in, and then everyone react immediately. So what was what 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 was it? Like I have no idea. I don't know, but I would like to know. I think it's important uh, just to find out. But in this case, yeah, what did the kid do? Like, yes, the video appears to, to show the pitcher just getting mad, taking off on a full sprint, and lighting up this kid, which is a great tackle. I think maybe in the NFL if he's out of this junior college program, but it was a great tackle, great hit. What led to it? Like, if the other kid got suspended, too, for taunting, what was it that he did? I, I, I think it's an important context for this, and we'll probably never know. We'll probably never hear, but um, it is definitely part of the story that the other kid also got suspended. By the way, the kid who, who, got, who, got, the kid who was taunting, who got tackled, his team had to forfeit the next two games because they had so many guys leave the dugout wow. that they got, they got suspensions and they didn't have enough players. Join the conversation on Twitter at ESPN Las Vegas. Five and a half, 245, and it led the team to the Rose Bowl and a bomber in the air, Coriel, Dan Fouts mold. He's in a good stadium, isn't he, with a little bit of history? Let's go to the commission. With the uh, second choice in the draft, the San Diego Chargers select quarterback, Washington State University, Brian Leaf. Cofield and Company's path to the draft. Yeah, we're mean. And the Chargers are a rival of our Raiders, so we've been accentuating some of the bad first-round picks over the years. Everyone misses on first-rounders. Ryan Leaf was a bad one. That was a bad <laughs> miss. Let's get into the Chargers offseason, which has been uh, pretty much a home run. And what they're going to do at number 17 in the first round, Francisco Pinto is on the uh, Chargers Latino broadcast. He's a color analyst. He's also on NBA coming up a little bit later tonight. What's going on? <laughs> you guys, that entrance. 
I know. I, well, you gotta, you hey, Steve it. Adam, how are you guys? You, always beautiful. You gotta and, do uh, it. Sunny Las Vegas. Yeah, you, got, you gotta do it. Uh, well, you gotta do it. I know. I know. Yeah, Vegas is awesome. Uh, before we get to the Chargers and what the offseason look like and and what they're gonna do in the draft, um, you're doing the call of the Bulls and the Bucks, and this yes. one, this series got real interesting because of the injury to Middleton. Yes. Yes, and it's incredible what is happening with the injuries in this uh, playoff, guys. I mean, with uh, Luka Doncic in Dallas, obviously with Devin Booker in Phoenix, now Middleton. We just learned a couple of hours ago about the thumb injury that Joel Embiid uh, apparently had, you know, in the last game against the, the Raptors. And these are, you know, these are your guys. These are your horses, you know. Mm-hmm. And this, what happens, you know, with uh, with Middleton, it can have a direct, direct effect in the in the outcome of this of this series. I think that Chicago always had a chance, to be honest with you. Uh, but now this window is a little is a little wider. It's a little bigger for the Bulls. So uh, um, I I, ex- I expect them to take full advantage of the absence of uh, Middleton today. So what do you think of the Bulls team kind of flying in the face of analytics where everyone wants to be firing threes or making layups and they've got, you know, mid-range jumper guy and DeMar DeRozan and how this how the season worked and you know, they're kind of going a little traditional when a lot of people don't want to go traditional. Well, the thing is they have one of the best at uh, at that, you know, the Rosen is historically good in that aspect of the game. I think that one of the guys and, and me being a, an ex-Laker, you know, uh, commentator, it really hurts to see Alex Caruso playing for the Bulls. Mm-hmm. You know, that guy is really, really important. He, he was important for the Lakers. He's equally as important for the Bulls. He does so many little things that are you know, and not so little because he also, you know, he comes up with that big rebound, that big stop, that big offensive foul at the end of games, you know, so it's that kind of guy is so important to have in your team. And uh, I think that he's truly, truly important for that team. And remember, they don't have Lonzo Ball with Caruso and Ball. You know, that's a, that, that's a good, you know, first line of defense for any team that wants to, you know, wants to attack, attack the Bulls. So, Listen, with Middleton, I will still give the the Bucks the edge here, but that absence uh, it is gonna it's gonna wait on the Bucks. Honestly, I don't know. I'm not I'm not as sure that the the Milwaukee Bucks, uh, even with Giannis, have what it takes to get through this uh, first uh, first round. So for the Chargers this off season, biggest move for you was it Mike Williams back with a big deal, Khalil Mack or J.C. Jackson? I love Khalil Mack. I love Khalil Mack, and I think that he gives us something that is going to be absolutely essential. It's going to be so important to be able to pressure the quarterback in this division. This division is going to be nuts. It's going to be insane. The quarterbacks are so good in the four teams that if you cannot put pressure on the quarterback, it's, it's going to be a blood fest. So, but at the same time, if you cannot protect your guy, well, then what? You know. So I loved uh, J.C. Jackson. Uh, I think that he gives us that he gives us that number one. Uh, you need that cornerback, especially because of the receivers you're going to be going up against. Uh, so I, I I love those two signings, and I you know under the radar what uh, Austin Johnson and and uh, Sebastian Joseph Day can do for this team is really important too. I mean, for many, many weeks, the Chargers have the worst uh, run defense in the NFL last uh, last season. And these two guys can really solidify that side of the ball, that, that part that is so important. So I think they're going to compete. And in this division, that's all you can do. 
really. <laughs> to give any guarantees will be ill-advised considering the kind of competition you'll be facing. So you mentioned they actually did do a little bit to improve uh, in the middle of the defensive line. I think that was very important. People are still talking about potentially drafting a defensive tackle. But what do you see as the biggest needs? They could go another receiver, give another target for Justin Herbert. Right tackle certainly is a glaring need for this team right now. Cornerback still could potentially be a need as well. What do they absolutely need to do in this draft? You know what? Um, I'm going to answer that question with this with this thought i was in las vegas for the last game of the season that incredible yeah. game against yeah. <laughs> against you guys against the raiders and uh, i was so you know privileged to as you were to witness such a such an incredible game what justin herbert did in those last you know last eight seven minutes of the game but for several days after i could not stop thinking about what max crosby did to us you know and and I think that it is so important if we can get for me this is this is Pinto speaking you know mm-hmm. for me if it comes down to bringing somebody like Jordan Davis to give you or somebody like uh, uh, Trevor Penning you know the tackle from Northern Iowa if it was me I will lean into going to somebody who can we can add some depth into that O line and somebody that we can plug and play uh, from the beginning of the season because again is the way you protect your 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 quarterback is going to be so important now if you have a guy like Derek Stingley Jr available you know at 17 oh my gosh are you kidding me you get JC Jackson and Stingley Jr as your cornerbacks please give it to me you know it's just i don't know if he's gonna be if he's gonna be there so i mean i guess how how would you assess that in terms of is the need at right tackle important you mentioned like if stingley falls something like that then obviously you have to do that but is the need at right tackle great enough that you would maybe reach a little bit if you know the top guys are gone even let's say penning was somehow gone off the board that you would say hey we need this guy so bad we're just going to draft the best right tackle we could find. Like, is the need that bad at that position? You know what they what they say that you draft the best player available. Uh, yes, absolutely, but to a certain degree. I mean, that best player also has to feel a certain need for your team. And uh, and I've heard, you know, Kenyon Green, uh, Penning. I've heard about uh, Charles Cross, the, the kid from Mississippi State, that could be available. Zion Johnson from Boston College, any of those guys for me will feel a need that, uh, like I told you, I for days I couldn't forget what Crosby did to that O-line, especially on the right side. On the left side, we are good. We are set. I mean, we yeah. have Linsley, we have Filer, we have Rashawn Slater, which, you know, you could argue he was the steal of the, of the, of the draft last, last year, yep. and we are good there. That's, that's a weapon. They not only protect Herbert, but they're a weapon. You know, in the running game, we need to get better on on the right side of uh, of Herbert. And if we can do that with that 17 pick, I will do it. <laughs> That's the uh, voice of Francisco Pinto. He is the uh, analyst on uh, Latino Radio for the Chargers. You know, I want you to tell people in Vegas how the Chargers have embraced all the different communities uh, in L.A. You know, and in Inglewood, but in particular the Latino community. 
You know what? It's been it's been really fun, and and I think the Chargers have done a a, a great job in reaching out to that to that community. This is LA. Uh, if you have to be relevant here, you know, if you're going to compete in this market, you have to do things the right way, and you have to go to the grassroots of the community, you know, and to the schools and to the parks and to the, the to the leagues, the youth leagues. And I think the the Chargers in that sense have been fantastic, reaching out to the you know to the younger population, to the kids you know, to the Latino communities that's Obviously, we have so many different uh, hubs in in Southern California where that can be that can be done. Uh, but, but again, it's it's a it's a constant you know it's a constant battle. It's a constant challenge of doing that. Um, and it's it's just so great to see SoFi Stadium. Even when you guys come, and I know the, you you guys travel well, you know, and <laughs> and it's that's there is no question about it. But it was surprising when. When you guys came to Southway Stadium for that, was that a Monday, Monday night uh, that we play? Or I can't even remember that that uh, the, the the game. It was a Monday or a Thursday night that we played the the, the Raiders last last year in Southway. Um, it was it was refreshing to see the amount of uh, of powder blue in the stands because you know that the silver and black are gonna show up. Oh yeah, you know. But to see that amount of powder blue, it was it was really nice. It's, you know that something is being uh, you know, they're building something special here. And obviously, Justin Herbert, you know, and Brandon Staley and the way the Chargers are doing things right now have a lot to do with that. And I think that it's going to continue, you know, it's going to continuously grow. That is, there is no, there is no limit for that. You need to be good on the field, but equally as important, you need to be good in the community. And I think that's where the Chargers are really making huge strides in Southern California. So, you know, next week we have Ice Cube playing here, and uh, you guys have Snoop Dogg hosting the Draft yep. Fest, right? Yep. Yeah. How Snoop cool Dogg is, is going to be here. I'll be there in Las Vegas. Eh? I'm, okay. I'm getting there on Wednesday Wednesday night to uh, to uh, to cover this uh, this uh, this draft for a digital platform, and uh, I can't wait. I can't wait. It's going to be exciting. I think the draft should always be in Las Vegas. To be honest, I mean, I don't know why they keep moving it from place to place. Uh, that this should be always forever in Vegas, and and at least two weeks of pre-draft uh, <laughs> festivities. Um, You're getting you know, out here before, too late. Yeah. Before the actual before the actual draft, well. you know, draft days. So. So yeah, I mean you gotta you gotta do well, man. We are in a we are in the toughest division in football. There's no question about that. Crazy. And um, and um, yeah, I can't wait for those divisional games, man. They're gonna be lit. They're gonna be incredible. So, well, uh, we appreciate you squeezing us in. Yeah, we know you got a busy night. Enjoy the uh, the call tonight of the Bucks and the Bulls. Thank you so much. Appreciate it, guys. Take care. Anytime. Thank you. There he is, color analyst for Chargers football and Latino radio, Francisco Pinto. We'll get into Jordan Davis more next week. Uh, I'm I'm fascinated by the fact that uh, we have Ice Cube, and I can tell you the SO Chargers fan saw the lineup for the Chargers draft fest, and she's like, I got to go down there. Over Ice Cube, isn't that her mm-hmm. high school mate? Uh, he did go to Taft, and she went sure. to Taft. Um, but I think she, what what she's getting a kick out of is the fact that uh, the Chargers really, when you go to the games, the Chargers really embrace Inglewood. Like yeah. I swear, most like a lot of the songs they're playing, they don't edit heavily. It's good. Like you start playing Easy E, and there's no edit in the stadium. Hello, I'm stuck in the press box. So I can't hear it. it. Sucks. You can't? No. That's why I was glad I was not in the press box during the halftime show. I had to step outside. the The Chargers games at SoFi are very uh, 
Vegas Golden Nightish. Yeah. The stadium experience, there is noise all the time. Maybe it's to drown out the opposing fans. But as Francisco said, <laughs> they they started to build. The Chargers fan base started to build, so we'll see if they get, you know, get a better turnout and they can, you know, not be 50-50 with the opposing fans. They'll be there if they win. That's the way it works, right? Very Golden Knights-like. That's the way it works. No, shot at the Golden Knights. All right, we'll talk VGK. What is going on with Robin Leonard? Is he out for the year, or is he potentially playing this weekend? 